So today, my ego would really like to knock your socks off with something <laughs> that I think is really substantive and important. And my heart and soul is uh, telling me to be, simply be of use. So I'm choosing this one. But if you'd like your knocks, your knocks, <laughs> if you'd like your socks knocked off, feel free to uh, access that. So <laughs> that's uh, you can self-select that option. So the last couple weeks, uh, we have been talking about non-dual consciousness, or the contemplative mind, or living from a sense of oneness or wholeness as a way into truth. Not your truth or your truth or my truth, but a big T truth. As a way to actualize what we all would say we believe about God or love or divine wisdom. And non-dual consciousness or the contemplative mind, it can sound so lofty, can it not? Can it not sound out there or, you know, for monks or, I don't know, a select few, it can sound very esoteric. And I, I want to reassure us and I want to encourage us. And I, want to, I want to affirm that living wholly or non-duly is accessible and trainable and possible every single bit as is living the way we currently live, if not more. And what I mean the way we currently live, I mean according to our egos, according to our histories and what's happened to us, according to our circumstances and our stressors and our fears and all the things that influence and dominate how we live and choose in the world. And it's so accessible that I'm going to today give you concrete examples of what it looks like and what you already do. And then I'm going to invite us as a group, and I hope you grab it with me. We'll see how we do. I'm going to invite us at a group, as a group to look at our growth edge of where is our shaky spot of going from separation to wholeness or duality to oneness. And you can do that privately. You don't have to do that out loud. And then we're going to look at what A Course in Miracles has to say and how that might invite and nudge and guide us into the wholeness or the oneness or the the universality of God or love that often we can understand up here but don't know how to live in the moment where it's hard or uncertain or painful. Here, here? Here, here. Here, here? here. <laughs> that was not a knock to your socks off here, here. All right. So let me start out with some, I'm actually going to give you several because several examples, because I really want us to integrate how much we already live holy and how the choice is right there to live holy if we so train ourselves. Number one, sacred ritual. Every time you meditate or pray or sing or chant, every single time you do that, instead of letting your mind do these exhaustive pro-cons lists, where we're just ruminating about what should I do and what if I don't and what, what, what if they and, and every time we're worried about approval and what other people think and our minds are really running away with our histories, if you will, every time we choose to meditate or pray or journal or chant or sing, we are choosing the contemplative space over the dualistic space. Are you with me? Yeah. Every time we go within, Every time something frustrating or painful happens, or there's some stressor, or someone is just a jerk, (laughs) 
and we go within and take a breath and let that energy pass and let the heat of the moment move and find our center and move from a place of guidance or move from a place of peace or a place from of higher inspiration, we are choosing non-duality over duality. Every time you use your mind creatively as a generative force, every time you ask a whole question like, what is possible here? What is God calling forward here? What is the lesson for me here? How can I use these circumstances to create something good that I believe in here? So every time you use your mind as a creative tool for the benefit of all, you are choosing um, the contemplative space and a non-dual space over what we can so often do, which is say, you're bad and I'm good, or I'm bad and you're good, or, or that those external circumstances, I'm out of here, peace out, from a place of anger and division versus from a place of peace or wholeness or being led elsewhere. So every time you use your mind creatively, a couple more. Every time you practice presence and acceptance, every time you let yourself land in the moment, say, this is happening, and give God and other people their jobs back, and lean into what you can control or what you are called to do or what is yours to work on. Every time we truly practice presence and acceptance, we are stepping into our whole being and whole thinking and saying no to duality and division and separation. Every time you get in nature, every time you move your body, every time you enjoy music or art, because we know when we do those things and we truly engage them and let them have us for 15 minutes or an hour, do things not look different? Is there not a change of heart or a shift in perspective when we go exercise or when we do yoga or when we just let the blessings of the earth have us, it's like, oh, I needed that. It's like a V8. Mm. And then you look back at what was happening and a spaciousness occurred or a download comes or someone else or something else shifted. You're like, thank you, Lord. Or there's the divine wisdom or however you name what is really true and so. And the last one I want to offer you, and then I'm going to invite your own because we need to start naming this and integrating that we do this all the time and that we don't have to separate, is every time, every time you take a risk in faith, every time you operate according to the unseen or something deeper and steadier that you know, even though logic or the circumstances would tell you, you know, get in or get out or isn't this obvious, but there's something inside that says, I'm called here, spirit's doing something, I, I just had to show up. Every time you take a step in faith, that is practicing the contemplative mind or non-dual consciousness versus what we would call dual consciousness or separation or the insufficiencies, all the ways we, I'm alone and on my own and it's just me in this fearful, crazy world. Is anybody, would anybody be willing to share how you practice non-duality? Joe? Uh, it, it just occurred to me this morning that it's like, be, we often talk about this, and John and I were talking about this this, this morning. It's a practice. It's a Just daily, a teeny bit louder. It's a daily practice, and um, you know it can be something as simple as having a conversation with John this morning about the practice and about the awareness and the presence of that practice that guides us into this divine spirit, 
and then getting leaving his house and looking up and everything is just crisp and clear. You know when you get that feeling when you look out and that's when you I want to go to John's house. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, John. Really I feel no you. I feel, I feel involved. what you're no saying. Drugs <laughs> involved. Oh, well, I'm not What's that, John? No <laughs> drugs involved. No, no altering, natural alter, altering mood. Yes, it's a, it's a daily choice to lean daily back choice. in, yeah. right, to how you see and perceive. Yeah. Yes. And sometimes it's just inhibiting your first response. Like if we can inhibit that reaction, if you tend toward that, whether it's acting out or moving away, it's like, whoa, let me just stay the impulse. Ah, oh, okay, here I am. And then we can enter. Yes, anybody else? What do you do? Because you do this all the time. And we gotta start naming it and knowing it's a choice for the having. Nicole. I'll share something. Um, I have a new client and um, long story made short, she was just ramped up. I mean, bound tight and just like spinning like a whirlwind, and I'm just like, whoa. And normally I would have gotten in and tried to calm her down and tried to fix it and offer this and do this, and I got myself crazy. And at the end of it, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to pause, I'm going to step back, and I'm going to let you just do your little like whirlwind, spin yourself out of control so you're exhausted. And at the end of the week, we rode around and just this big sigh of relief, and she's like, I just feel so good today. And I'm like, that's great. Pause and presence, right? Let her do her job. I'll maintain my center, right? Let yes. Anyone else? At least thank you. Two more. John. Well, what we were talking about, Joe, is like happiness doesn't come get you. Joy doesn't come get you. Peace doesn't come and get you. You have to have a formula for yourself. Whatever it is that works for you, and you have to work the formula, and it has to be a conscious decision. Otherwise, you get up to an alarm clock, you answer a phone call, you react to the day. Uh, if you don't take control of it and grab the wheel. So, for instance, you meditate for 10 minutes, you take action, you go do your little workout, whatever, in the morning, right? You do your prayer or whatever it is, yeah. and then you put something good in your body to feel. So you've done a conscious four things to start yes. in the right direction already. Yes. That gives you a chance. Yes. Right? It gives you a chance, right? So we start our day, right? And we have our own formula. No one can tell you what your formula is. That is the beauty of your body and your heart and your brain and your history. No one can make the translation for you. And that's the freedom that we are given to make our own translation into what is wholeness and non-duality for us. Phyllis, and then we'll move on. Okay, so uh, usually a couple times a week I'll get a call from my daughter from college. And like, there's usually some emergency. (laughs) 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 Not always, but usually. And so then my heart automatically starts to ache and yeah. my body starts to tighten and I'm starting to tense up and thinking, okay, what do I have to do to fix it all, you know? <laughs> and then I have to remind myself just to breathe, right? And to relax. Breathe is another great whole <laughs> and non-do, yes, breathe. breathe. And relax and take a moment and just listen to yeah. the thing. But it's so tempting to like want to fix it all. It's so tempting. Yeah. Can you hear how practical these are? Breathe, listen, have a formula, right? Have a practice, keep choosing, keep getting back on the wagon. Doesn't matter how many times you, right? Yes, okay. So um, <clears throat> we're going into a series on A Course in Miracles and I wanna just give you an itty bitty um, intro to that because I know many of you know. 
and then I want to share with you um, some of the main themes of the course, not to give you information. I'm not trying to, to give you a, a starter or a primer. I'm going to invite you to then land on your heart and see if you aren't touched or intrigued or invited on just one, because there are all ways we can practice wholeness and non-duality. But just to give you a little intro to the course. So this is it. It's fairly beefy if you look at it. Um, this is said to be, it's not said to be, it was downloaded by a woman over seven years. And she said that she heard it all like dictation at any time she could press pause and just pick it right back up again. And she would call it the voice. And her name is Helen Shuckman. She's um, passed now. But she actually thought she was going crazy when she started hearing the voice in the 50s and 60s. And a colleague of hers encouraged her, write this down, write this down, don't let this go. And so they, over uh, seven years together, they wrote A Course in Miracles. And it is said to be the voice of Jesus by her. And there are all kinds of Christian terms, though um, if you're a Christian or identify with that and you read it, it is definitely non-traditional. It is not um, traditional Christianity in most, most translations. Um, nonetheless, it's incredibly powerful. And it says in the outset of the course that the course is a training uh, manual for the mind. It's not trying to be a religion. It is not trying to be a doctrine. And it invites us specifically into application over theory. Application, meaning living it out, meaning practicing it over what we know and experience over theology. So the mystical, living, real-time experience over study out there mentally. Do you follow me? Okay. So granted, the course can be dense and hard to follow, and it's, at some points, I think it gets in its own way. For those it resonates with, it can be a wonderful tool um, because it's divided into three cool sections, and it really gives us both mechanics and the spirit. So there's a text basis, which is one volume of the course for the real mechanics of how it works. And then there's 365 lessons for daily practical lived application. It's so straightforward. And then there's a Q&A at the end, a manual for teachers, which explains many of the mystical concepts that are hard to put words on, quite frankly. And, um, and I just think it's one, one very beautiful offering. So um, here are the eight themes that I wanna read over you from the course that we're gonna be going into over the next eight or nine weeks. And I invite you to take a breath. I invite you to close your eyes if you want because I'm gonna read them twice and I'm gonna read them slowly. And I'd like to see if one touches you or one calls you forward into an actual practice of even deeper whole and non-dual living. And you might even bring a stressor or circumstance to mind to see if it applies even more directly. Number one, living love so powerfully, it literally transforms fear and everything else. Living capital L love so powerfully, it literally transforms fear and everything else. Number two, knowing our eternal nature as divine creations so fundamentally, we bring it forward in every physical experience. Knowing our eternal nature as divine creation so fundamentally, we literally bring it forward into every physical experience. 
Number three, harnessing the power of the mind as a creative and generative force that translates into meaningful form. Harnessing the power of the mind as a creative and generative force that translates into meaningful form. Number four, being firmly rooted in truth that allows us to see through illusion and restore sanity. Being firmly rooted in truth that it allows us to see through illusion and restore sanity. Number five, understanding the deeper purpose of relationship as win-win, taking them from special one-to-one encounters to holy unions that impact everybody. Understanding the deeper purpose of relationships as win-win, taking them from special one-to-one encounters to holy unions that impact everybody. Three more. Number six, intimately sensing your inner authority as guide toward your true purpose. Intimately sensing your inner authority as both guide and inspiration toward your purpose. And seven, embracing our oneness with one another and all life, getting that the same divine imprint connects us all. Embracing our oneness with one another and all life, getting that the same divine imprint connects us all. And lastly, accepting that we are always guided, always nudged, always looked after. We don't ever have to make it happen or go it alone. Accepting that we are always guided, always nudged, always looked after. We don't ever have to make it happen or go it alone. Let yourself have a breath. Just take a minute with that. And I would love when you're ready to hear from you, if one of those spoke to you or touched you or invites you forward even deeper into whole and non-dual consciousness. Mary Claire. The second one seemed to say kind of everything to me that that if if we could live with like full knowledge always that we are eternal beings, and so much wouldn't even matter. (laughs) Isn't that like a flopper? Like a um takes things from upside down to right side up? Mm -hmm. If we really got that. Even when we don't feel it, if we knew it and believed it and chose anyway, it would, yes, yes, that's a very powerful one. Knowing our eternal nature as divine creation so fundamentally would bring it forward in every physical experience. (laughs) Thank you. Robin. Um, I like number eight. Can you read it again? Yes. Accepting that we are always guided, always nudged, always looked after. We don't ever have to make it happen or do it on our own, ever. 
I like that one too. <laughs> just, you know, it gives me the strength to know I don't have to put a round peg in a square hole. Yeah. That I can be who I am and I know that I'm guided and I just have to listen to it. And yeah. I will be nudged to go where I need to go. Yeah. And I'm going to have fear. I'm going to have things that come up. But yes. it's okay because ultimately I am being guided. Ultimately, we are guided. Breathe that in, everybody. Whew, feels good. John. <laughs> I, didn't, I can't remember them all, but the one that sat with me that seems to drive them all is harnessing the power of your mind. I mean, it seems like without that, the rest of them are not going to happen. Um, untangling your mind is like the first and foremost engine that gets you to the rest of them. Yes. Harnessing the power of our mind, right? Like using it for new thought. Using it as a creative force. I mean, there's so much at our disposal when we don't let it run away, right? When we don't let it be on autopilot. Whew. Quite a practice. Anybody else want to say one that touched you or invited you forward? And these certainly aren't new. I mean, we see these in sacred texts and, and uh, in, in older language. They're certainly not new, but no less powerful, huh? No less powerful. All right, let yourself have a breath. Because this is the growth edge part. <laughs> this is the growth edge part. <clears throat> so one of the most common questions I get in Love Actually or a talk I'm giving or even here is, Paige, I get that up here, but I don't know how to live that. Or what you're saying makes sense, but what does it mean when I'm going through loss or I'm terrified? There's this um, huge, huge question that many of us carry of how does it go from a beautiful thought or something that feels good for a second or something that, yes, that's big T truth, to accessible, lived, embodied, used in the moment. Yes? <clears throat> Would you agree that there's a significant gap there in our culture and even for many of us on the spiritual path? By show of hands, would you agree with that? most people okay I want us to ask ourselves what it would take I want you to get very serious about this in the privacy of your own heart and mind nothing you need to say out loud what would it take every single time you blamed judged accused shut out stressed out over identified with a feeling or a situation or a circumstance instead to meditate or pray, or get in nature, or pause, or take a breath, or develop your formula, or slow down, or listen. What would it take every time you got that moment of, I don't like life, or life sucks, or you suck, or it's not possible, mm -hmm. or all the ways that we judge and spin and lose our center. What would it take for you every time, or most times is what I mean really? We made the choice for wholeness and non-duality instead of making the choice for separation and insufficiency. Robin. For me, it would be um, recognizing it and catching it. Like what you're doing is extreme, like I don't like you. Those are heavy extreme examples, but the judgment and that stuff, a lot of it goes on pretty low, you know what I'm saying? They're not hardcore and they're not like in someone's face mm -hmm. but they're happening all the time they're happening they're all the time comparing and doing stuff and you know stuff like that so for me it would be more recognizing that i'm even doing this 
Yes, excellent. So if we went one step deeper, what it would take for you to tune up your awareness yeah. to recognize it, right? So, so in practical behavior, I just want you to imagine, you can answer or not, because we take the question one de- step deeper. So what would it take for me to be connected enough, tuned in enough, observational enough to actually recognize when I'm separating? Slowing down. Slowing down. Yeah, How doable is that? Oh, it's pretty doable, but, but I mean, I could go from, I'm at the Richter scale high right now, almost all my life, so yeah. I could bring it down just a notch and probably hear more. <laughs> Don't multitask. But, but, but see, the, the, the muscle it takes, for example, to slow it down or not to multitask, or what the rest of us might say, the muscle it takes to enter that vulnerability is the access. If we keep this non-dual, contemplative, wholeness thing that, that the masters offer us, if we keep it out there and don't bring it home to the personal translation of where it lands in our own shaky vulnerability, vulnerability-ness, <laughs> if we don't do that, then we continue to be split. Are you with me? Mm-hmm. We continue to stay separated because it isn't lofty and esoteric. It's that we won't make that choice. That's the bottom line. Does this make sense? Okay. What else would it take? What else would it take for you? I know what it takes for me. What is it? Thank you, Steve. Energy. Yes! I find uh, at those moments where I can make a choice to take responsibility. Uh, and if I'm tired, uh, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to take responsibility for how I'm feeling. I just want to feel sorry for myself. Yes. If I'm energetic and I have energy, I can push, you know, I, I, the analogy is, oh, what is the analogy? <laughs> 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 having energy to, to, to have, I, I can have the realization, but if I don't have the energy, I just say, I don't care. <laughs> I'm just going to sulk. Yes. Energy. Energy is huge. But if we took that one step deeper with with Steve, he does have the energy. He's just not choosing to commit it here. He's choosing to commit the energy somewhere else. And that's that moment of vulnerability that you were sharing about the vulnerability that you would enter to slow down or to not multitask. That conscious shift of energy that I'm going to take it away from these things that make me feel good or accomplished or whatever I need to feel. And they are good and wonderful, but to consciously shift it here, there's a vulnerability, there's a, there's a uh, shaky needness, if you will, right, in making that shift. And that is the practical fear and vulnerability and uncertainty that we usually don't enter. And that's the illusion, because we think it's just for that master, or it's just for that person that, you know, Joe, Joe does his thing every day. No, it is for all of us. Don't be, don't be deluded. It's that we will not make the shift into the vulnerable, practical space that makes wholeness and oneness real and possible and felt. It is for the masses. It is not for the select few. That's good to hear. Yes. Okay. Let me get you this, let me invite you to get this little sheet out. Because I want to give you a little further taste of the course. And this is such a beautiful offering. And if you'll bear with me, I want to read it to you twice. Because it points out for us wholeness and duality and union and separation. It gives us concrete examples. 
The opposite of seeing through the body's eyes, meaning what I can see physically, right, with color and out there, the opposite of seeing through the body's eyes is the vision of Christ, which reflects strength rather than weakness, unity rather than separation, and love rather than fear. There's the non-dual and there's the dual. That's why I bolded it. Are you with me? Okay, so it is the choice for strength. It is the choice for unity. It is the choice for love. The opposite of hearing through the body's ears, what I heard you say in that tone you had, is communication through the voice for God. That we would hear through the voice for God, the Holy Spirit, divine intelligence, which is in each of us. His voice seems distant and difficult to hear because the ego separation, which speaks for the little separated self, seems to be so much louder. It isn't that the voice for God or the intelligence within you isn't there. It's that the ego is turned up so high. This is actually reversed. The Holy Spirit speaks with unmistakable clarity and overwhelming appeal. And no one who does not choose to identify with the body could possibly be deaf to his messages of release and hope. And please make a translation there if you struggle with his could be deaf to the divine's messages of release and hope. Nor could we fail to joyously accept the vision of Christ in glad exchange for the miserable picture of ourselves. <laughs> right? The miserable picture we create for ourselves of being weak and helpless and insufficient and victimy. Not that we can't feel that way, of course, but that it is an eternal reality. What we might feel or what someone has done to us right? Christ's vision, the divine's vision. Second paragraph, Christ's vision is the Holy Spirit's gift, God's alternative to the illusion of separation and to the belief in the reality of sin, guilt, and death. That's the release and that's the hope that we are are released from that reality. It is the one correction of all errors of perception, the reconciliation of seeming opposites on which this world is based, Let yourself have a breath here. It's kindly light, shows all things from another point of view, reflecting a thought system that arises from knowledge, from that inner knowing, and making a return to God, a return to love, not only possible but inevitable. What was regarded as injustices done by one to someone else, there's the separated part, now becomes a call for help and union. That's whole seeing. Sin, sickness, and attack are seen as misperceptions calling for healing through gentleness and love. Defenses are laid down because where there is no attack, there is no need for the defense. That's the whole non-dual thinking. Our brother's needs become our own. Why? Because they are taking the journey with us as we go to God. Without us, they would lose their way, and without them, we could never find our own. I'll just read it once because it's long. But <laughs> Without us, they would lose their way. And without them, we could never find our own. We go together. We are one. We are whole. We don't the, outrun the bear and the other doesn't. Oh, no. <laughs> Anne. I had a, a pretty intense experience this weekend. So um, I'm one of four sisters, and one of my sisters... Um, uh, as, as an alcoholic, and I'm fairly sure she fell off the wagon, and 
Anyhow, three of us did <coughs> the work for a three-day um, beautiful celebration, and she decided, um, this one sister of mine, she would take off the edge off by engaging in whatever she took. I don't know if it was opiates, if it was alcohol, I don't know what she did, but she, I'm sitting there with everyone in my family, all my relatives, and she is becoming alarmingly embarrassing. Mm -hmm. I mean, just like, I'm, I'm relaxing, it's all come together, <laughs> it's beautiful, and she's blowing out and saying inappropriate things. And so um, I get my, my son to get her back to the hotel, and um, she's still completely out of it the next morning. So we're sitting there and um, I could see every single emotion in the universe after years of being in the ER with her and all anger and this was mom's memorial and you did none of the work and we did all the work and you just showed up, you just had on and on and on. And I thought, okay, and let's, <laughs> let's really sit back. And um, I felt this calm come over me. This is complete, like, okay, we're in this together. She's my sister, and, you know, here we go. And she's sobbing, and she's embarrassed. You know, she's humiliated herself in front of, and I thought, okay, where did we go with this? And then my daughter sat down with her, and in the most loving tone, just said, Kim, um, I'm gonna be really honest, honest with you. You know, you are really messy, but this is what's going on. The bottom line, um, we just poured out love to her. Mm. We said, I mean, she couldn't have, her self-esteem was this big. Sure. Mm. I mean, she's humiliated. She fucked up for the 50,000th time <laughs> in our life, at the memorial, humiliated, and now we're at the hotel and she's unconscious and on and on, I mean, yeah. on and on. And we just, she just sat and listened and sobbed, and sat and listened and sobbed. And then that night, you know, we took her out to dinner with us and, and um, it was for the time for me to shut up. Just wow. shut up wow. and not, I mean, I wanted to attack. Yeah, oh, yeah. I wanted to say, yeah. oh my God. <laughs> Do you realize, wouldn't complain what she did, what she took, right. no idea. But I just thought, shut up. And then, you know. And then it was handled. It was handled. And it didn't have to be by me. And it is what it is. But, you know, she's our sister, we're, we're there for her, we're, you know, we, we just finally said, you know, you're going to have to just move on at some point, find a way to work the program or some program or something. But, I mean, I, the and two years ago would have just been stuck in anger. Yes. From all the Christmases and Thanksgivings that were ruined, it would have gone right back to every drama and trauma. Yes. And I just sat back, and then I had this incredible feeling of compassion for wow. her. When my heart was just breaking that she was so broken at this mm -hmm. point in her life. She cried, wanted to sleep next to me. She said, I'm lonely, I'm lost. I, I mean, I felt just so compassionate for her. Thank you for this story. Mm -hmm. Thank you for this story. Um, I honor you. Because did you notice that the anger in the story still operated? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, Anna's human. Did she identify with it and live from there? No. 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 So it isn't that I have to be holier than now and some Zen master and be the penetrating light to redeem this, right? But like, no, I am angry. No, this did suck. No, there was a lot of work. And let me just, she, she even said, let me slow down and back up, okay? So she acknowledged what was happening, and then she got the wisdom. Shut 
up. <laughs> right? And sometimes it comes through nice and loud, and sometimes it takes a little longer. But you listened. And then, could this not be more true? We are always guided, always nudged, always looked after, and something divine is orchestrating it. She didn't have to go it alone. And this beautiful daughter of yours said, Auntie, love you. And we gotta talk. And she didn't. Just just because of the interest of time, I'm gonna interrupt you though. She didn't color anything, she laid it out. See, it was still said. Do you follow me? It didn't get minimized, it didn't get not dealt with. It isn't like, okay, we're gonna bypass everything because we're spiritually holy and we're gonna love you. No! She got into the mess with her, right? And it was hearable and receivable because it was there was a higher orchestration there and the timing was on, yes, right? And then what happened? Did you hear what Anne said at the end because of the spaciousness she created by following the guidance? What, what overwhelmed her? Compassion, Compassion. right? Yeah. Bullseye, Anne. That's what you could use for an example of why you should do this work. Why you should do this work. The Anne of two years ago would have, with with all sorts of justification, been stuck in anger. And then who's at the effect of that? Anne. Anne, long after her sister has gone on to get sober or not. Right? Yeah. And you embody what you're talking about, Anne. You embody light and peace. Wow. Great story. Yes, right? The choice for wholeness. And there was nothing There was nothing woo-woo or lofty about that. Slow down, take a breath, back up, listen. Give God his job back. I'm not glad I'm not sitting next to Ann two years ago. <laughs> All right, let yourself, um, just as we're getting late, I'm going to share two quick announcements, but um, just take a breath and take a moment to listen. Before I do that, and before we have a closing prayer, in the potency of this space, see if something's not coming through for you. Take a moment and see if there isn't a message or a feeling or an image just for you before we transition.